today on Ag News Daily. And looking ahead to the January USDA report, of course, that's the big one. And I did some research to see what the USDA does in terms of any changes in yield from the December report. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Hobel. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Wow, I can't pronounce my own name today, Ashton. I've already got Christmas brain, it seems. I think I've had Christmas brain for the past two weeks. <laughs> it's always a fun time of year. This year might be a little different for folks, but I'm a huge Christmas person. I like Christmas movies. I like Christmas shopping. I like going to church for Christmas. There's just lots of things that I enjoy about the Christmas season. I do too. And although it will definitely look different for me and my family, I'm still excited to see everyone's faces when they unwrap gifts. That's like always my favorite part is I like watching them open their gifts because I'm the kind of person I like getting them like sincere gifts and stuff. And I always, you know, want to make people cry. And my (laughs) stepmom thinks that that's a little bit of a me being a psycho. She doesn't enjoy that, but I, I like it. <laughs> I am. I'm the same way. It's always hard every year. It seems like to get people sincere gifts, but I also do my best to try and think of things throughout the year that people have mentioned they want or that they need or that I've seen that they need. So I'm right there with you. But uh, speaking of Christmas, that's this week. Hard to believe we're now here December 20 or Yeah, December 21st, I almost said January 21st. But just so everybody knows, we're going to be taking a few days off here extra this year. I honestly, besides like a day here and a day there, I don't think I've had a break from the podcast since we started it three and a half years ago. So we're going to take about a week off here and we're going to enjoy time with our families. Ashton, we won't be having a podcast pretty much Thursday, Friday of this week and probably all of next week. So folks, if you're missing us, I'm sorry, we'll be back to start the year off fresh with you all come January 4th. Delaney, I am really excited for you to get a break. I cannot believe you haven't had one really for like the past three years because I'm I'm excited to have a break and I've only been on the podcast since May, so I can't even imagine what you've been through. I like doing the podcast, don't get me wrong, but it's time for a little break. That's all I've got to say, but... Ashton, I tell you what, speaking of break, there has been no break in the labor strike going on right now in Argentina. We're still seeing their ports closed or extremely shut down as labor unions are continuing to try and negotiate with those folks who are pushing the strike forward. And we really have seen that coupled with some South American weather issues And a few other factors we'll talk about with Naomi here uh, has pushed soybeans significantly higher. And here's one other story that caught my eye that I wanted to make folks aware of that could have some long term market impacts as well. Although Russia is not a huge producer of soybeans, they've now imposed not only an export duty tariff on their wheat production, but also their soybean production, an additional 30 percent to be exact on their soybean shipments. So if you'll recall back, I think I reported this last Monday or Tuesday, Russia issued that export tax of 30% on their wheat products so that any wheat that gets shipped out of the country will be slapped automatically with a 30% tax. Now's 
The same is going to be happening for the soybean markets because Russia is very concerned about their domestic supplies and they've also seen rising farm prices. So to control some of that issue, some of that inflation they've been having there domestically, this is kind of their next steps. But that, again, does pose somewhat supportive for grain markets because we won't see as much Russian production flooding the pipeline. Well, Delaney, I just have a little reminder here for our listeners to eat their meat. As we continue to go through the COVID-19 pandemic, folks, I think, are looking of, I guess, more creative ways to stay healthy. I know my dad like doubled up on his vitamin C, and my stepmom had to remind him that too much vitamin C can be a little bit toxic, but eating meat is also a great source of immune-supporting nutrients. And a new article that I was reading, of course, when you think about a healthy diet, people always talk about eating your fruit and veggies, but I don't think that a lot of folks talk about eating good sources of protein. Of course, they have protein and zinc in meat, in addition to vitamin B6, vitamin B12, and selenium, which are all important nutrients. And it also provides nutrients that people often don't think about as much, such as riboflavin. So folks, if you're wanting to be a little bit healthier as we continue to go through the pandemic, don't forget to eat your meat. Your meat, all right. That's a, That seems like a new catchphrase, Ashton. I know. I when Like I said, whenever I think about eating balanced meals, I think about my fruit and veggies because, I mean, I am an avid meat eater, not too much of a fruit and vegetable kind of girl. But folks, if you're not like me, you know, you got to eat some pork or, or beef, of course. You do. You absolutely do. To all those vegetarians out there, not that we probably have a lot that listen to the podcast, eat your meat. <laughs> Well, Delaney, another headline that I was following today, of course, is about COVID-19 relief packages and the current package that is up for voting later today that Congress will vote on. um, They've actually already voted, Ashton. Awesome. Okay. See, I was not aware that it was already voted on, Delaney. So why don't you take Yes. (laughs) They just did this late last night. We saw congressional leaders in both the House and the Senate have approved a second coronavirus relief package. And again, this happened late yesterday. So that might be why there's a little confusion. Um, This bill was about $900 billion. I have not double checked to see if President Trump had signed off on it as of yet, but he was expected to. It wasn't expected to have any sort of holdup from him. But among this new relief package will be a few important things, I think, for folks to be aware of. The first is, again, a direct payment to folks making less than $75,000. The first time we think, I think it was $1,200, if I'm not mistaken, this time it'll be just $600 of direct cash payments that will go again to any folks who make less than $75,000. But this package also set aside some direct aid for agriculture. This deal earmarks um, about $13 billion in direct payments, purchases, and loans to farmers and ranchers hurt by the pandemic. And it also earmarks another $13 billion to the SNAP program for supplemental nutrition assistance. So like I said, I'm about positive that the president has already signed off on this. I don't know yet. The one thing that's still unclear to me is how quickly this $600 payment will get distributed to people's 
bank accounts. It seems like last time it was pretty quick for folks who had direct deposit set up. So I would suspect it would be pretty quick again, but I don't know that one for sure. Well, I don't really have much to add to that, Delaney, since I was a little behind there, but I appreciate you being on top of things. I feel like it's always got to be at least one of us, of course. That's what they pay us the big bucks for, Ashton. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, another thing that we saw happen over the weekend is the EPA approving the Mar... I can't even... I can't say this word. It's really tough for me. But uh, Mardina, actually, they approved the Mardina COVID-19 vaccine to be used for emergency use. So now we have two vaccines on the market. I'm not sure how that will go. I don't know if states will get a preference on which vaccine they will want to get or anything like that. But we did see that also happen over the weekend. That's a good question. I guess I hadn't thought about that. I just assumed they were going to do some sort of like equal distribution where every state would get so many tests or excuse me, so many vaccines. But I, I just made that up in my head. I don't really know if that's true or not. Yeah, and I'm not really sure how they both work. I know that the Pfizer vaccine for they store that on dry ice. I'm not sure if the Mardina vaccine is the same way. But one thing that I do know is that the CDC is expected to prioritize frontline essential workers, including those in the food and ag industry, as the vaccines begin to roll out. Minnesota Ag Commissioner Tom Peterson told Brownfield Ag News that an advisory committee on immunization practices has recommended that this group be part of the second phase of people receiving the vaccine. So from my understanding, they have, you know, phase one, Part A, B, C. I'm not sure exactly how many letters they have. If approved, the CDC recommendations would provide a framework for states looking to vaccinate the approximately 30 million frontline essential workers and 19 million over the age of 75 who make up phase 1B. So it's kind of hard to understand since there's going to be so many different phases, but at least for the food and ag industry, I think they're going to be part of phase 1B. So should be coming soon, hopefully, because I think with uh, phase 1A, that's for doctors and you know people working in nursing homes and that kind of stuff. Yes, I think that you're, you're on the money there, Ashton. But let's see, I don't know that I had a ton of other news. This is actually kind of a lot of news for being a shortened week this week with the holidays quickly approaching. And it was an exciting week to say the or exciting week. I still have Christmas brain. It was an exciting day in the trading pits today, especially for soybeans. Ashton, what do you say we kick it off here and check out the markets for today? Let's do it, Delaney. All right, let's do it indeed. And as I mentioned, soybeans, explosive moves higher today. I'm going to kick things right off with them. January closed up 23 and a quarter cent today to close at 12.43 and a quarter. The March up 23 and a half to close at 12.47 and a half. In the corn pits, they also had moves to the upside, not quite as explosive as soybeans today, but they still seem to be pulled higher by news of skyrocketing soybean prices as the March contract added two and a half cents to close at 4.40. The December 
favor of a penny and a half to close at 420. In the wheat pits, they also had moves to the upside today as the March Chicago contract added three cents to close at 611 and a quarter. The Dees up two pennies to close at 615 and three quarters. Livestock today higher as well, a little bit mixed, I should say, in the live cattle contract as the February contract shed 20 cents to close at 114.65. The April up a nickel to close at 118.70. And in feeders, January higher by 17 cents to close at 140.62. March ending the day up 82.5 cents to close at 143.12. And in lean hogs, green across the screen as the February contract closed 65.92, up 12.5 cents today. The April ended at 70 today to close up seven and a half cents and rounding out the markets with a class three dairy milk futures. Since we're talking dairy today with our hashtag market Monday interview with Naomi Bloom, January up eight cents to close at 1564. The February up just a penny to close at 1645. Without further ado, let's kick it over to my conversation with Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. Well, for today's Hashtag Market Monday interview, I am joined today by Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, Delaney, thanks for having me. Naomi, I feel like it's hard to talk really about anything else today as you look at markets after this explosive move we've seen here in soybeans over the past couple of days. Break it down for us. What in the heck is going on? Yeah, well, it does start with the reality that with as strong as the export market has been and with that crop here getting a little bit smaller and the crop in South America getting smaller, there's um, demand is strong, supply is smaller, and the stocks to use ratio is now coming in at under 4%. So that is actually the second tightest in history. And it's really significant because it's only December in this crop year. So we still have eight months to go and the stocks to use ratio could get tighter and tighter and tighter. And so, and just remember that when the perception is that the ending stocks or the stocks to use ratio is getting smaller, that's what lifts prices. So that, along with clearing that $12 hurdle, is just really bringing in new buyers to the marketplace. And we haven't rationed beans yet of what's remaining. Export sales have been so fantastic. So there's the demand there. And um, there still looks like there's a little bit of upside to go. That is fantastic news for folks who are grain producers. Maybe not so great news if you are a livestock producer and haven't locked in some of those feed needs yet. But before we talk about the livestock picture, Naomi, let's talk a little bit more here. With soybeans having now broken through this psychological number, $12 beans, what's your next area for some resistance here? Yeah, looking at front month contracts, so a bit of a combination of January to March, $13 is the next upside. That takes us to the price lows from essentially 2012 and early 2013 when we had lows there. So that's going to become resistance. And then if there is continued buying after that, you're looking at dollar increments as the market goes higher. So um, I don't know if I can uh, predict any sky high values yet. A lot of it is still to be determined by that big January USDA report. If the USDA at all lowers yield on that report, along with strong demand, boy, there could really be some fireworks ahead. There certainly could. Naomi, is the picture as exciting when you look at the corn market? It is not quite as exciting, but it's about to pick up some steam. 
So today, the market for corn futures, they took out the bearish key reversal that had been put in place in late November. So that's a very, very important and significant uh, for technical chart traders. It now points to an upside of the 465 area, which was the high from 2019 in the summer. And then I think with the beans going as high as they are, corn has upside potential yet of the 465 number and then ultimately the $5 area. And looking ahead to the January USDA report, of course, that's the big one. And I did some research to see what the USDA does in terms of any changes in yield from the December report into the January report. And looking back at the last 15 years, the USDA actually has increased yield by one bushel for six out of the last 15 years. But nine out of the last 15 years, they actually decreased yield, so made the yield smaller by an average of one and a half bushels. So now if, if that is the case this year, and a lot of people are thinking that small crops get smaller, then what we're going to see is a carryout number that gets closer to one and a half billion bushels. And that in of itself is a reason for that corn market to then keep pushing higher. And then we're going to see a new fight for acres heading into the spring. So this is so exciting. You know, it's been eight years since we've had a good bull market. We're overdue for it. And the fundamentals are there right now to support it. Yeah, it's crazy to think that we're already talking about the acreage fight here for 2021. And I mean, you think about it, one one to one and a half bushels per acre lower doesn't sound like a lot when you talk about it in an acreage number or a, you know, acre by acre number. But when you look at it from the grand scheme of things, like you're saying, that can really change uh, the picture there. Yeah, it sure could. It sure could. And just keep things supportive. And, you know, then you think about um, China, if they're going to be needing to buy more grain. So if they are, and there's a lot of people who think that they're not even halfway through what they need to buy potentially from the United States. So then you see more demand for corn for export. We could potentially see more sorghum demand for export and wheat demand for export as they try to do various uh, different types of grain for feed substitute with the higher prices. So it's uh, very exciting times for sure. It certainly is. And I want to talk really quickly here before we talk livestock about the acreage battle that is likely going to ensue here shortly. Mm-hmm. What, what, I mean, break it down for us. What do you think the likelihood is that we see large corn acres, large soybean acres, or are we going to see a pretty good split this year, 50-50 of folks growing either commodity? Well, right now the market is expecting that soybeans are going to have um, outpaced the corn. So we're not going to see that 50-50 natural shift that they're thinking it could be anywhere from uh, five to six million acres of additional beans more than what corn would do. I think they're saying corn like around 90, 91 million acres. And with Uh, the soybeans, they're essentially taking acres away from cotton and from the Minneapolis spring wheat market. So I'm wondering then if we're going to see cotton continue to climb and even the spring wheat start to kick it into gear. Um, Because if they're at the point of losing acres, of course, that's significant for the overall situation with the spring wheat. So um, lots of excitement. And when I talk to my clients, I would say it's a third. A third are saying that they're going to be doing their regular rotation. One third said actually that they're going to be switching into more soybeans. And the other third is saying um, maybe they would do more corn because now that the price of corn is going up, that's attractive as well. So I don't think we're done yet in the acreage battle. I think there's more to come. 
Yeah, I would guess you are probably right there, Naomi. When you uh, transition to look over at the protein markets, cattle seem to be doing okay here at these levels. Um, But of course, there's always the battle then when we see grains start to push higher that we see feeders go a little lower, you know, for feed reasons. Are we going to see that happen again here or have protein markets kind of factored that in already? Oh, that is a really good question. So from the feeder market perspective, um, one thing that I've noticed is that so far feeder demand is still there. Um, Producers are trying to lock in as much as they can right now and, and buy their needs. And we're seeing the deferred fat cattle contract start to push higher on the thought that we're going to see second and third quarter production lower because of the low placements from the recent cattle on feed reports. So in the short term, um, I think we see feeders with a slow grind higher. Technically speaking, both feeder cattle and live cattle futures look like they're going to continue to work higher. And I really like June cattle. I think June cattle are going to go up closer to 120. And as far as though the bigger picture, longer term, Delaney, you're 100% right that eventually the higher feed inputs are going to catch up and and we'll start to see that natural progression of um, feeder cattle to grain prices occur. But just in the short term, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic right now. Are you still optimistic when you turn your attention to the lean hog markets, Naomi? Oh, hogs, though, that's a different story. Okay, so as we know that the hog market is battling uh, the reality of plentiful production, no doubt about it, along with perception that our export market, which has been you know, phenomenal for 2020, uh, that they're going to be seeing it dwindle down into the next year, and maybe we're not going to be exporting as much pork to China. So the market is kind of in check. It's been consolidating for about three weeks, the hog futures. And they're waiting to see what the export picture might look like for the first part of 2021. Is China going to just stop on their needs and buying, or are they going to still import some pork from the United States until they're fully up and running with their uh, hog Hilton uh, facilities? Those big fans. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. A hog um, building. So I don't have a good feel for hogs. I really don't. They're consolidating. And I think we just have to wait for a little bit more fresh news there before we get an idea if we can see um, it start to just work higher or fall apart on the idea that we have too much production here. So that's going to be a few weeks away to know for sure what it's going to be doing. Naomi, have you heard any rumors or speculation about having any production or supply chain issues with COVID concerns? I'm starting to see some trickles on the news wires that, hey, this could potentially be another story here for the end of 2020 into 2021. Are you hearing the same? Uh, starting to see those stories also. And, you know, the market, I think, is confused because they thought, okay, well, we kind of figured that out. We know what to do with um, um, getting the people spaced out that work there a little bit better. But of course, it's always a concern because all of a sudden, if you have um, a whole crew of workers who are not able to come to work because they've been quarantined for various reasons, that clearly becomes an issue in the marketplace. Along with, you know, this week, And next week, we're going to have lower production numbers because of the holidays, too. So that's always a concern to keep in the back of the mind and something to be watching. Naomi, we've got to talk a little bit of dairy here since you're uh, one of our dairy experts. What's going on in those markets? They've kind of been all over the board, it seems like, lately. Oh, they've been crazy. So, you know, the bigger theme had been that the Farm to Family program, which was absolutely 
a huge blessing to the dairy industry is wrapping up because 2020 is almost done. And that program was able to um, make cheese demand so strong and it was able to use up all of the big dairy supplies that we had. So milk prices rallied because of that. Cheese prices had rallied. And now we're coming into the end of the year. Holiday parties aren't as, you know, quite as uh, prolific as what they had been. And we're not seeing any new signs that the farm to food family, that farm to food family program is going to be continuing into 2021. So the market is having this reality of big milk production. And the most recent milk production report echoed that sentiment with milk production just continuing to be at record amounts. So that's why you've seen the volatility with milk. Um, we had just a couple of weeks ago, milk prices up near $18 and now they're back to the uh, mid-15 level for the January contract, February milk rate around $16.45. So it's a, it's a mixed market with too much milk available right now and demand kind of sinking for the short term. But with the dollar working lower, that should be really good for our exports. And our exports have been really strong for milk and dairy products. So hopefully that continues. Um, but again, it's kind of similar to the hog where it's a theme of overproduction and uh, skewed demand ideas. So hurry up and wait is the answer to the price outlook for that market too. And Naomi, since we are just one week away here from the end of 2020, we've got to talk a little bit about what's going to happen here in 2021 as we see the administration transition over. I think at this point, I don't, I assume that president-elect is Joe Biden, but I don't really understand the legalities of some of the lawsuits that came forth. So I assume he's the president here moving forward into 2021. But what will a new administration do for commodities? Do you guys have any speculations about a Biden administration? Well, here's my thought is that uh, the cast and characters of who Biden is nominating potentially for his cabinet are the same ones from the Obama administration for the most part. So we know what to expect out of them. And the market is... Um, in a way, comfortable with that because they're not expecting too much big change. And so um, the biggest thing to take away is that it feels like we're going to be continuing to do money printing. It feels like the value of the dollar is going to be continuing to work lower. And those are things that happened during the Obama administration. So if those things happen, it actually, with the lower dollar, is good for agricultural commodities because then it makes it cheaper to export our commodities and have other countries import them because of the currency exchange rate. So that's one bright spot for agriculture is that lower dollar. And then the rest of it is to be seen yet because of environmental policies. I think that'll be something that we have to keep an eye on. And then, of course, how uh, the Biden team chooses to do foreign relations with China and then other countries around the world, too. So we'll see. And there always could be a surprise that some legal formation or formality can happen and Trump sticks around. You just never know. But yeah. for the most part, it seems like Biden is probably going to be the presidential elect. Yeah, I think so, too. Like I said, I don't really fully understand all of the intricacies that could or couldn't happen at this point. But uh, with the new election, I suppose we'll see. It. Uh, I, but you're right. I with this administration, especially him tapping Secretary Vilsack to be his Secretary of Agriculture, there's a lot of players that look very similar to the Barack Obama administration. So yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I guess that creates a little bit of certainty for folks that were a little nervous about that transition. But uh, Naomi, before I let you go, if folks have questions about commodity markets or otherwise, where can they go to get some more information? Yeah, you're welcome to give me a call at the office. The number is 800-334-9779 or shoot me an email. My email address is Naomi at totalfarmmarketing.com. Fantastic. Well, Naomi, thanks again for chatting markets with us today. Yeah. Merry Christmas to you, Delaney, and definitely Happy New Year. Well, again, a big thank you there to Naomi Blue. Hopefully she has a great Christmas this year with her family, a little bit scaled back. It sounded like she's mentioning to me after the uh, conversation on the podcast today. But we always appreciate her coming on and sharing her insights with us, especially right now when we've got something to be thankful for this Christmas, Ashton, with these higher prices. Absolutely, Delaney. And another thing that I am thankful for is our ability to listen to our past episodes on our website. It's always good to reminisce, even though I'm a part of them every day. I like to go back and listen to them from time to time, especially when I'm traveling, which some folks might be doing this week. So folks, if you're looking for some road entertainment, be sure to check out those podcasts at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 